Greetings everybody, it is a blessing for me to come to you, I'm Bertie Brits and today we're going to be talking about the resurrection. This is the second uh, program on some TV stations, will be the fourth program uh, on the resurrection of Jesus, wherein I'm in a series on the resurrection. And today we're going to talk about the need of a physical resurrection. Why should we have a physical resurrection in our theology. What is this all about? Now, what I'm going to say, and I've said it, I say it many times, is you have to put your thinking cap on and open your heart and say, Lord, I want to understand. You know, when it comes to understanding, it is a key in fruit bearing. The Bible clearly says, he who hears the word and understands bears fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. But he that just hears the word and doesn't have full understanding or understanding about what this is about, he will be the one that wants to mix it with the law where the seed is sown on stony places, meaning the heart is still found in the law, uh, or where it is mixed in with the cares of this world, when you think that the gospel is all about uh, supplying your, just your needs in this world and those kind of things. But once we have taken the gospel to heart and really understand what the gospel is all about, we find that the power of the resurrection truly starts to bear fruit in us. At the end of the day, it is all about the resurrection. It is all about God raising Jesus Christ from physical death, bringing a brand new life to everybody. Now, I want to start off <coughs> by asking this question. Uh, well, let me put it this way. I, I preached on the resurrection and I've shown from 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus was physically raised from the dead. And that is what the Apostle Paul believed and what the early church believed. But as I continued preaching that, I just felt that that is actually... Um, just saying to people, well, you must believe it because it's written in 1 Corinthians 15. And we're not explaining the logic behind a physical resurrection. Why a physical resurrection? We're starting out with this question. Why did God not just forgive Adam and Eve? Why the cross and why the resurrection? I mean, when Adam died, God already knew that he would have to give his son you would have to bring forth a man in the likeness of sinful flesh. And he would have to carry the sin of the world. And then that man would have to be raised in a physical body in order for forgiveness to be administered to man. Now, why go through all of that? Why could God not simply forgive humanity for or forgive Adam and Eve for eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, we've had many arguments and many uh, schools of thought around that. And I would say that is what Christianity sits with. We are, and still today, we find that our journey or what we try to understand, what Christianity is about, what our walk with God is about, is to try and make sense of who God is, 
who we are, why we are here, and then we look at the story of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, and this is what we try to figure out is, why a physical death, a physical resurrection, and not simply just forgiveness? I mean, what is so difficult to just forgive someone? And one of the th theories is that since God is a divine, super holy being, there has to be, uh, the only punishment for disobeying Him is to be punished by death, where in God's holiness and where in God's justice and uh, who He is, He's so holy, and this is how we think, He's so holy that if you transgress anything that He says, that He will have to punish you with death, for He is a righteous God. Now I want to go so far to say that that is really an absolute watered-down wrong theology which doesn't give enough foundation to explain why Jesus had to be physically raised in a human body from the grave. It doesn't answer that. Uh, the death on the cross answers and says that God has punished Jesus, but why a physical resurrection? And since we are people that live and die and go to heaven, why a physical resurrection? We can't we just go to heaven? So the question is, why could God not just forgive Adam and Eve? I mean, if somebody comes and steals something from me, I just forgive him. That's it. And it would be a sin to keep it against him. Why could God not just say to Adam, listen, you've wronged now, don't do it again. The reason why God did not forgive like that was because God was not angry. The whole thing about the death and the resurrection of Jesus is not about satisfying an angry God's justice. The whole thing about the death and the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is all about saving people from death. I want to read what I wrote here. <clears throat> Why did God not just forgive Adam and Eve? Why the cross and the resurrection? The issue at hand is not a forgiveness issue, but a salvation from death issue. God had to save man from death and sin, and not himself from anger. Now, I think that is a very good start, where we can start and look at what actually took place in the Garden of Eden. So many times we think that Adam and Eve sinned, God was angry, and now God had to be released or relieved from his anger, and the only thing would be to take a man and punish him. I want to say to you that the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus in the physical body has nothing to do with God needing to punish anybody. But it's got everything to do with God redeeming man from the death or sin in the flesh. And we're going to look at what, what happens there. <clears throat> now I want to start by reading Romans 5 verse 12 to 13. Romans 5 verse 12 to 13. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. 
For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no, no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned of the similitude of Adam, Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So what he is saying here is that sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. Now, what is taking place is in the garden, and this is what happened, God came to Adam and Eve and said to Adam and Eve, listen guys, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Okay, so I want to put it this way. What God has said to Adam and Eve is, if you eat of that tree, you are married to death, and you will surely be united with death until you die. That is what he was basically saying. He talked, talks about a marriage. He talks about a union between man and death. And that we're going to read in Romans chapter 7 later today. So what he's saying is that, remember, Adam wasn't a ghost. Adam wasn't a spirit. Adam was a physical human being like me and you, made from the dust of the earth. Should Adam die, he would return to the dust of the earth like all of us. So Adam was made from the dust of the earth. You can go and study that word dust. That word dust means basically the remains of something that is ruined or rubbish or debris or something that was broken down that has died. So he was basically saying <coughs> that Adam was made out of, one of the Hebrew words there is rubbish, something that's just dust. I don't say that Adam was rubbish. But what he was made of, that substance, the dust of the earth, cannot and does not possess eternal life in itself. It, he, Adam was made out of and he was formed out of something that was dead. Then God gave life to that dust. In other words, it was alive on account of the life that God simply gave to Adam. And I would almost say borrowed to him. It was given to him and that life could then be maintained and protected and last forever should he partake of the tree of life. In other words, if he, uh, if he continues in a relationship with God, God would be the one that sustains and protects his life. But what Adam did, he didn't do that. He went and he said, I'm going to, Take my own ability, guys, I've preached about this many times. By my own ability, I'm going to protect my life. In other words, I'm going to find life by my own work. And as he did that, he had to draw from who he was or from the substance that he was made of. And that was dust. And there was only death in that. And what happens was, since Adam came to a place where he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or he actually believed in his own ability and that he can sustain and protect and live forever like God by having the knowledge of what's right and what's wrong, doing the right thing. By doing that and living in that, he thought that he would sustain his own life and then he died. And then from Adam to Moses, people would be born. 
they would live a very good life but still die. And they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what to, what, why are they dying? They didn't know. I think even Adam, what was happening in when death came his way, he wasn't really understanding what to impute this death unto. Why is he finding that his children is now sinning, is finding decay in the world, uh, the people that are born after that, Noah, we didn't know why. Why are people all of a sudden living in sin? And this sin, I mean, they, they couldn't describe this sin. I mean, sin was in the world. It's not as if sin wasn't in the world from Adam to Moses. Many say, well, where there is no law, there is no sin. That means that from Adam to Moses, there was basically no sin. That's not true. There was sin from that time. Moses and Noah preached repentance. Um, <clears throat> we find that so many places, you know, even the king that wanted to take Sarah, it was a sin. And he could be punished with death for that. There was, there was sin in the world. It's not as if there was no sin in the world from Adam to Moses. Many times we say that the scripture says that where there is no law, there is no sin. Where there is no law, sin cannot be imputed. Meaning that where there is no law, you cannot be punished for sin. That is a very weak understanding of that scripture. And I'm going to explain to you what that imputation of sin is today. And as you're going to understand what the imputation of sin is, you're going to understand why there had to be a physical resurrection from the dead. Now church, I, I don't want to apologize for preaching or teaching a very theological message today because we need to understand these things. But I also want to say this, that when things start to sound a bit complicated or difficult, say, Lord, I want to understand this. I want to understand this because if I understand it and it can make sense to me on why there was a physical resurrection from the dead and it makes so much sense to me that it actually brings forth a brand new life in me, then I can live the life God has dreamt for me. You know, the Apostle Paul was so adamant on a physical resurrection that he was basically saying that if you don't believe that Jesus was physically raised from the dead, then you have no faith at all. Then it's just, just as good as, as, as being uh, an unbeliever. That it would be as good as what God has. Jesus never came. All of that, if you don't believe in a physical resurrection. And still we find today, even in the church, that there are beliefs inside Christianity that there is not a physical resurrection or that Jesus was physically raised but that he shed his body and that there that he is now basically a spirit in heaven and that what will happen to us we will have a spiritual body meaning we shedding this physical body and we become ghosts Casper the ghost in heaven now I want to tell you that belief according to Paul would mean no power no authority, no life, as good as what Jesus never came, believing that, according to Paul, would be as good as um, or going to worship idols. Now, if the Apostle Paul was so adamant about the resurrection, we need to understand. We need to say, well, he knew something, and we should know why it is. I want to just bring 
some points to your attention. Let's go to Acts 1 verse 22. Acts 1 verse 22. <coughs> I wanted to put this in the end, but I'm going to just throw it in right here. Just the importance of, of resurrection. We're going to explain why it was important, but I want to look at, I want to show to you that it was important for the apostles. It says, Acts 1 verse 22. They were looking for another apostle. And it says, <coughs> Wherefore, of these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So the apostles, Judas came and he, he killed himself. After he killed himself, they said, let us appoint another apostle. And then they said, let us choose one that walked with us all the time from the baptism of John with Jesus all the time. And this man must be one that can be a witness of the resurrection. Remember, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. A witness of what? A witness that he was physically in a physical human body raised from the dead. And that is also defined by Mark as the gospel. The gospel is the message that Jesus was physically in a physical body raised from the dead wherein he lives today wherein that man, Jesus, that went into heaven in a physical body, wherein he would return in a physical body, glorify our physical bodies, and so shall we be with the Lord. That gospel was the physical resurrection. Paul goes so far as to say in Romans 1.16, that the message that Jesus was physically raised from the dead, that is what he also defines as the gospel, that message is the power of God that saves us from sin. What it means is, if you can understand why it is important for a physical resurrection and a physical human body that cannot die, if you can understand why that is, it will set you free from alcohol abuse, it will set you free from bitterness, hatred, uh, 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 anger, it will set you free from fear. It will set you free from so many things. It will set you free from the fruit of the flesh. It will set you free from anxiety. It will set you free from all, all that is sexual immorality. It will set you free. You will share in the very life of God in this world right now. Should you be able or should you just simply comprehend the simplicity of a physical resurrection. Now sadly, in the church we've made such and put such an emphasis on becoming spirits that go into heaven, shedding this physical body, not declaring and not understanding the physical resurrection, that it is difficult. It's even difficult for me today to explain why a physical resurrection because there's so much things that has to be moved it's like the apostle paul came and he said um, or the writer of the book of hebrews he said i want to explain things to you about the order of melchizedek which is the order of an immortal human body he says but you became dull of hearing it's difficult for me to explain these things 
He says, therefore I come to you and I don't actually teach to you what I want to teach to you, but I come and I bring a law, a, a, a law lingo message to you so that you can, so that I can at least communicate some things so that in the hope that you understand a little bit more and eventually that I can share with you what I want to share with you. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews says. But we're going to get right into why Jesus um, had to be physically raised from the dead. <clears throat> One thing that we must understand is that where there is no law, there is no imputation of sin. Now I want to read to you the definition of that word imputation. Impute means to reckon in or to set to one's account, to lay to one's charge. So what it says is, where there is no law, we don't know to whose charge should we lay the fact that we live in sin. Let me say it again. Where there is no law, we don't know to whose account or whose fault it is or what fault, what things fault it is that we live in sin. It says, now listen to this, that death reigned from Adam to Moses, for all have sinned. So did people sin from Adam to Moses? Yes. But the people that sinned from Adam to Moses could not understand why they are committing these sins. They couldn't understand. They didn't know what to account this to. Why am I living in sin? Why is this sin manifesting in me? Think of it. Adam comes, <clears throat> he eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he starts to die. I think he didn't really understand why he's dying. But he was dying. And now we find that inside, from there, people in their physical bodies was dying. We find death manifesting in them. And we also find sin manifesting in people. The one wants to kill the other one. Within the same generation, Adam's children, the one kills the other one. And then from there, sexual immorality, all those kind of things. Not long from there, Noah, there was a worldwide flood and people were destroyed. We see all kinds of sin, sexual immorality. We, we find all of that taking place. And it's as if people are just sinning and sinning and sinning and they don't know why. Why? are people sinning. I mean, you can, now it says here, we don't know what to impute the sin to unless we have a law. Now, we have read that passage as, well, we cannot punish people for their sin unless there is no law. And where there is no law, people can continue to live in sin and not be punished. That's not what that passage means because Paul comes and he writes, he goes from there to a next verse and a next verse and a next verse. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 7 and we're going to look at the imputation of uh, sin. In other words, un unto whose account can we write this sin? Why, are, why is sin manifesting in people? Now we're going to look at that. Guys, I want to just say, um, just excuse for my Bible. I'm so busy with the Bible. The air conditioner is just blowing the, the pages everywhere here. Um, Romans 
uh, Romans here, chapter, chapter 7, and it says, and I want to just look at the imputation of sin. Remember now what it says. Where there is no law, there is no imputation of sin. In other words, where there is no law, we don't know why we sin. Impute means to write to a certain person's account. So thank God for the law. Because the law could show us why sin is manifesting in our lives. And then through this sin, our lives are being destroyed and we are even being led unto physical death. We're experiencing physical death. That is what this is all about. Now, <clears throat> Paul comes in Romans 7 and he actually talks about a marriage. And man, I don't know, I'll see if I get into that. But let's get into verse 9. Paul says, I was alive without the law once. Paul, I believe, talking about a life that he lived after he received Jesus because that's the only time you can experience life. He says, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So he said, well, I was alive without the law. I was having a good life. I was finding the fruit of the Spirit in my life. But then when I became legalistic and I started to live by the law, I found all of a sudden sin come forth in me. And then he had a major revelation. It wasn't the law. Sin can be written on the account of the law. The law is not the problem. <clears throat> the problem is not something that says, be good to your neighbor. That is not the problem. There is another problem. And we're going to look at what that problem is. He says, for I was alive without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, or I want to use my own words here, which I, under my Jewish understanding, thought would give me life, I found to be unto death. So in other words, I find that with my Jewish understanding, the more I tried to obey the law, and I thought that by doing this law, I'm going to have life. I find no. But by the more I do this law, I find sin coming forth in me. And now this law is showing something to me. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and slew me. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Was in that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Now we're starting to see a little bit of a glimpse on the imputation. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. Now listen to this. Now we're starting to find the imputation. For that which I allow not, uh, sorry, verse 15, For that which I do not allow, that I, and that I would not, that I do, and vice versa, and that which I hate, that I do. If then I do, that which I would not, I consent that the law is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform, that I cannot find. Then verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body 
of death or this body that carries death or that is dying. Now, <clears throat> the Bible says, where there is no law, there is no imputation of sin. In other words, where there is no law, we don't know under what account to write sin that's manifesting in us. Because I've come and I've looked at the law and now I want to do what is good, but when I started to try and do good, I came to the revelation that is that in my physical body is no ability to do the good for this is a physically physical dying body. And because this body is a partaker of physical death, that is why sin manifests in me. I hope you hear what he's saying. Paul is coming and he's trying, he's talking about the resurrection. He starts in Romans chapter 6 and now he's talking from Romans chapter 5. He talks about being justified by faith and then he comes and he says in Romans chapter 5 in the middle somewhere there, he talks about Abraham or towards the end, Abraham that believed that God could raise his son from the ashes. He talks about Abraham that didn't consider the death of his own body you know, but believed on him. In other words, he was not trying to by his own dying body bring something forth, but he believed God that can raise the dead. So Paul comes now already talking about the resurrection from the dead. Then Romans uh, 6, he says, shall we continue in sin now that we are under grace and not under the law? So he says, God forbid, and then he comes and he explains. No, he says, don't you know you were baptized into the death of Jesus? I don't have time to talk about the death of Jesus today. Um, he says that as he was raised from the dead, we can now walk in the newness of life. And that I have to explain. Now he goes on. He says, we can walk in the newness of life. Then from Romans 6, he goes to Romans 7 and he explains in Romans 7 that we were in Adam basically married to death so that we would bring forth fruit unto this husband called death. And that fruit was sin. And those sins would lead us to actually then experience the fullness of death. Now Paul comes in Romans 7, he goes on, he says, let me explain to you what this marriage is, and this is my revelation. I believed in Jesus, I'm using my own words, came to a place where I found the fruit of the Spirit in my life, then I became legalistic, but I didn't understand why I'm having this fruit. I just believed in Jesus, and then I had fruit. I believed he was raised from the dead, and then I had fruit. But then, after I got saved, I became legalistic again, and as I became legalistic, I found that I was now engaging human willpower and the human body and its understanding and its ability to do the law. And as I was engaging that, I found, man, I find sin manifesting in me. And then I realized, my goodness, this body of mine, this physical body, there's nothing good unto eternal life. In other words, inside my body, if I by my own power and the ability of this human body want to bring forth anything unto life, there's nothing good for that in this body. This body is not good for that. 
This body is good to be a temple of God, wherein God comes and manifests his life, but this body is not good unto trying to bring forth fruit unto life by its own ability. Why, he says, I need to be delivered from the body that is physically dying. Like one of our ministers said, and I hope I say it right, he says, the reason for people dying in South Africa is death. Now, um, that is what is said, one of the ministers said. I don't know if it's true. But saying that is a wonderful revelation. The reason why people are in sin is because of trying to implement and make use of something that doesn't have eternal life in it. And from there, you want to produce life. Your body is dying. Since your body is physically dying, it does not have the ability to live without sin. That's why God had to come and take a physical human body and make it not to ever die. Physically. Physically. So that we, today, will not rest upon our own ability to bring forth fruit, but that we can rest in the ability of God to make a body immortal. And as we are resting in that ability of God to make a body immortal, for we have seen the immortality that he brought forth in the physical body of Jesus, that is why we are now saved from sin in the flesh, for we are not engaging a dying body anymore in trying to serve God. We are believing on God to give us a brand new life. And that is why it is of vital, and I stress the word vital, life importance to believe in a physical resurrection. So, in order for God <coughs> to save man from sin, he had to save man from death. What he had to do is, he had to go and become a, ma a man in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, he had to come and say, man's flesh is sinful, meaning man's flesh, the human body, is not a partaker of the eternal life of God. A human body does not have eternal life. And one of the big deceptions that came in in the church is that we were thinking that we are spirits and we just live in bodies. That is not true. You are not a spirit. You are a human being. You are what the Bible calls a living soul. You are life. You are, if I would take dust and make it alive, what comes forth there, that's what you are. You are a human. That's what you are. You are a human being. You are not a spirit. Even Jesus today is not a spirit. He's not a ghost floating in heaven. Jesus, after his resurrection, he said, touch me, feel me, because a spirit does not have flesh and bone. And then we saw that body went into heaven. You might say, but the Bible says he became a quickening spirit. What that means is that what this physical Jesus became is a, is, is a life 
force that brings life to us. That's what it means. In order for Jesus to be a quickening spirit, now we shouldn't think of a spirit as a floating thing. It's like we, I, I can say today that um, if I go and give to the poor and I do it with great passion and, and people see what I do, what I am doing there and who I am might be a quickening spirit to someone else that quickens them to the very same life I have. Okay? So Jesus in his physical body is a life-giving force that has, was raised from the dead and his resurrection includes me. He's conquered sin in the flesh. He's conquered death in the physical human body so that we now can believe upon the Father that has brought glorification in a physical body. Now, when Adam sinned, what happened? Death passed unto man. But when Jesus was raised from the dead in a physical resurrection, now we are not under the oldness of death because of Adam, but we are under the newness of the life that is distributed to everybody that's got human bodies believing on the Lord on account of Him that has conquered sin in the flesh and killed sin in the flesh. That's why we today in this life can have a life born from the Spirit because Jesus was raised from the dead. Okay, let me put it again. Very complicated. I know it can sound. Let me put it together. I'm going to do it as simple as possible. When Adam sinned, what he did was, he said, I will use a physical body, the willpower, the will of a man, and I will do good. And by doing that good, I will have, I will be like God. Meaning, have eternal life. That's the only way they would like God, is to have eternal life. We think man is inherently immortal. That is one of the biggest lies that has ever come to the church. Humans aren't inherently immortal. It's not the thing of you're going to live forever anyway. No, eternal life, eternal existence is a gift from God. That's what it is. So, Adam comes and he believes a lie. And he says, well, I in myself can exist forever. I can live forever. God said to him, never believe that. For then you will surely die. You are made from the dust of the earth. So, what did Adam do? He didn't believe. He looked at all the beauty. He looked at all the fruit in his life. He looked at everything God was actually accomplishing in his life. And he thought, well, look at all my abilities. I can do it. The moment he started to try to do good, he found sin manifest in him. And eventually, physical death. Why? Why was that sin manifesting in him? They didn't know. The Old Testament people didn't know why sin manifests in people. They would just think, it's because I'm not willing to live holy. But Paul contradicts that. He says, we want to live holy, but we find we can't. 
We want to preserve our lives, but we can't. And they didn't know why. And then Paul says, we can now impute sin or right under the, the, the we can, the, the cause of sin in our lives. We know what to impute it to now. Since we have the law, the law has showed us it is because of a body of death. And now we come into Romans chapter 8, and Romans chapter 8 says that Jesus has condemned sin in the flesh in being raised from the dead. And since his physical body was now raised from the dead, we now, in our physical bodies, are now seeing the trickling of life coming through to us by what Christ has accomplished. As we believe upon this, this we are not living by engaging our dying bodies anymore into our relationship with God, but we are now engaging the promise of God, which is, I can raise you from the dead. And as we believe in this physical resurrection from the dead, and that His victory is our victory, and we believe that that spirit of Christ, in other words, that resurrection, that gospel of Christ, will also quicken our mortal bodies, as that truth dwells in us, we find we are now under the newness of the influence of the life that God had on a human body when He raised Jesus from the dead. And because of that, that is the reason why we stop to sin. <laughs> the law shows us why we sin. The reason why we sin is because we want to implement and engage a dying body to bring forth eternal life. That's what the law shows us. But the resurrection of Jesus and His immortal human body and our belief in that, receiving that spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, when we believe that the Father can raise a physical man from the dead and end what is killing us and bring forth sin in us, that leads to destruction, as we believe on that truth, we find that that spirit now stops sin in our life as well and will in the end even stop physical death in our lives. And that is what the Bible says, we patiently wait for the adoption of sons, which is the quickening of our mortal bodies. So can you see why God had to raise a physical man? Raised the physical. Why? Because Adam was dumped into a system where he trusted the physical. And since he lived in the system where he said, I'm engaging the physical, God said, let me end death in the physical. And if I can end death in the physical, then man can believe that God can bring life to, his, to the physical physical and as man believes upon that God can save him from death what causes sin trying to implement or engage something that's dying into bringing forth life that's what the law showed us so now we can impute sin to death we can impute sin to a body wherein there is nothing good which Paul called the body of death let me read that in Romans 7 Now we can see why they were so adamant on the resurrection. Why it had to be a physical resurrection. That's why Paul said in Romans, 
Ach, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, If Christ was not physically raised, and if there is no physical resurrection for us, then we are still bound in our sins. That's why, why, why he said that. Glory to God. Romans 7. I want to read Romans 8. It says, Therefore, there is no condemnation unto death to them which are in Christ Jesus who are not engaging the flesh. In other words, who don't want to live by this, this physical body. So in other words, if you are saying, I am in Christ, I was baptized into His death, His death is my death, for uh, his, the sin that was on Him was my sin. So if I say I'm in his death and I see his physical body was raised from the dead and I'm saying that includes my physical body, the moment, I, the moment I see that and the moment it becomes a revelation in my heart, what happens? Then I will find no reason to try and preserve my life by the works of the law, but I will simply believe on Jesus. And as I believe that Jesus did this, his life is my life and that eternal life belongs to me because I am co-raised with him, then now I'm not under the oldness of the influence of death wherein death leads to sin and that sin turns you back to having physical death manifesting in us, but I am now under the life of Christ is my life and that life of Christ now starts to manifest the fruit of the Spirit in my life. This is what he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has... In other words, under the old, there was a law. The law said, well, as the, the more good I want to do, the more I find sin manifesting in me. Why? Because I'm engaging a dying body. But now, since I'm engaging an immortal body, as the truth about me, I find I'm not condemned unto hatred and bitterness and those things anymore. God brings kindness, a life without fear, peace and joy to me now. That's what he's saying here. To them which are, uh, who walk not of the flesh but of the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through my own inability because I have a dying body. God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. In verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, so he says, if Christ is in us, I want to tell you, if Christ lives in you today, remember, <clears throat> this body would still mean death to you because this body is dying and it will bring forth sin that will destroy your life. That's what he's talking about here. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you. 
He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the Spirit that dwells in you. And that is where we find sin lose its hold on us. Where we find the fruit of the flesh lose its hold on us. And when we start to live a holy, righteous life, and that is by Jesus being Lord over sin and death. We've preached the cross extensively, but we have not preached the resurrection, for we had no understanding of the resurrection. We had no understanding of the imputation of sin. We had no understanding on why sin manifests. We had no understanding of those things. We were just saying, well, I don't care about this world. I don't care about this old body eventually. It's all turning to dust. It's all going to be burned up anyway. That was never God's plan. That is not the truth. The Bible says even creation waits for this manifestation of an eternal life in our physical bodies in the day Jesus returns. That is what the Bible says. Why? Because as we are saved from corruptibility, by what? By believing in the physical, incorruptible body of Jesus that saves us from sin, for we are calling on an eternal, immortal body now as our own, and we are not engaging a dying body anymore. That's why we will see His Spirit bring forth fruit in us, and we will see that immortality and eventually whole of creation will be glorified and not be made subject to vanity anymore. <laughs> this teaching that I taught today is definitely something that will stretch your mind, get people to think, get some folk to say, well, I don't know, it's a very long, complicated message, but should you go and listen to this, pray to God, study this out, let God give you revelation in your heart, it will be a wellspring of wisdom. It will be a gateway of glory into your life wherein you experience the power that the apostles experienced wherein it is God reigning and ruling, ceasing the fruit of the flesh to exist in your life and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit in you. Glory to God. That's what it will be. It will be what I call effortless change or an effortless life by the doing of God. Hallelujah. Well, we've come to the end of this message. Thank you so much that you've watched and I want to just pray for you. Father, I want to thank you that I can stretch forth my hands to people. Thank you, Lord, to give them an enlightened mind to understand the depths of your love. And thank you, Lord, for healing them, your bodies and giving witness to the power of the resurrection in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for watching and I'll see you again next week.